Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. Hi, I'm Clotho, and you can find me at Clotho Spindle on Twitter, and I'm joined with Kama. Hi, this is Kama, and you can find me at Oxford Splice on Twitter. Chicky? Hey, I am Chicky. I'm at the Chikrin on Twitter. And Devin? Hey, this is Devin, GD Harpo on Twitter. Okay, we're going to be discussing Bran's second chapter in A Clash of Kings, um, all the usual trigger warnings for potential discussions of violence and rape. Uh, so, jump right in. Bran wakes early because Winterfell is hosting guests for the Harvest Feast. Uh, he's staring at the ceiling and lamenting that he has to play the prince. And that's what they're calling him when he always wanted to be a knight. Uh, he has to sit and listen to old men speak about things he barely understands. While the squires, you know, he's kind of jealous because they get to practice in the yard. Uh, Sir Roderick had reminded him, you're your brother's heir and Stark in Winterfell. The Stark in Winterfell. Uh, the first one, uh, Lord Wyman had, Manderley had arrived two days prior. Um, so he's sort of the first one he had started talking to, and he'd welcomed him, you know, from the seat, you know, the stone seat, the main hall. And they had the feast was pleasant, but like, you know, the real reason everybody comes is they travel all these like leagues, as they say, to discuss important matters. And, uh, you know, Hoder comes up dressing him for the day and he's watching him. And, you know, he actually comments, I think some of this commentary about Hodor, because we get into, you know, he's kind of get, getting bullied a little bit in a minute here, but, oh. you know, how Hodor looks like he could be a great, you know, just he's thinking if he'd had his wits about him. And it's so sad, you know, thinking about. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of sad in this whole chapter, yeah. but this beginning section, especially, because it's like, if you remember Bran as we first met him in A Game of Thrones, where he's this active little kid who's literally like yeah. climbing up walls and stuff that his parents are trying to get him to stop doing. And now he's stuck basically like living like a middle-aged bureaucrat a lot of the time. It is really sad and depressing. I mean, it, you feel really bad for Bran here. Yeah. And I guess there are parallels between what happened with, um, yeah, because both, both of them sort of cut short in a way and... Their lives well, have drastically like, changed. The death of... Yeah. It's not just... I mean, it's not just the sort of death of the future he wanted. It's... I mean, it's the death of his childhood because he's a little boy. And even if he's disabled, he's spending his time, you know, doing political stuff. I mean... Yeah. And, you know... you get Yeah, which is just not his thing at all. <laughs> it's just really not what he would want to be doing. And they know that, you know, it's like, I feel, you know, there's little comments made by best, you know, Mr. Lewin knows, like he's, I know, you know, I, I know what you wanted. This isn't it. And oh gosh, um, do we get the, and it's like now, okay. Can I say now yeah. viewing this through the lens, which has been, you know, quasi confirmed that, you know, Bran is going to be the one who puts Hodor in the state that he's in. It gives a really sinister almost shade to this whole section as well, because you're oh, like, Bran yeah. is, is quite literally going to do this to someone else. And, and it's kind of horrible. God, um, oh. ugh, God. fucking George. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
God, just the descriptions. Like, um, we get the they the basket. He's describing us hanging on the wall and how he climbs into it. And you know, he kind of mentions once when Hodor was excited about the smell of baking bread, he like cracked his head on the ceiling. So they made like a made a helmet for him. So he's just just discussing all the ways they're trying to accommodate. And they have like a special, you know, he can ride the horse. And um, so they make their way outside and. He says, you know, in his own mind, I'll just have a quick look. We kind of, you could kind of feel where this is going. Because, of course, there's Walt, you know, there's <laughs> Walters. Um, so uh, they're jousting and they have to approach Bran afterwards and start, you know, they start in on him. And, but, but really, they're, tar- you know, they're targeting Hodor. And, you know, they say, oh, you're, you have an ugly horse there. And a big Walter joins in. And, uh, you know, poor Hodor's oblivious. And, Bran tells him to shut up and Master Lewin is like fury. He pops up and he's furious and, you know, tells them they should be, you know, protecting the weak and the helpless. And, you know, he makes a point of telling little Walder to stay out of the godswood, you know, godswood and away from the woods because he heard, you know, there's sort of mentioning about the teasing about the wolves too. Um, so I guess if yeah, which like, <laughs> you wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't think you'd need to warn these dumb kids to stay away from the fucking <laughs> dire wolves. I mean, they're terrifying, or they it seems like they are to anyone that doesn't know them well. I, Little Walter, I'm reminded such a of fucking the children shit. of my acquaintance and the things they do. <laughs> <laughs> the dumb things. Gosh. But little Wal, I mean, both the Walders can be bad, but little Walder is just such a shit, like just such a little shit. You just, and he's not even that little. You just want to. <laughs> do they tell? Do we know their ages? Are they, are they around his age? Or are they older? They're older than him. I think they're he's like preteen, young yeah. teens. I don't remember exactly. Okay. Oh gosh. Uh, when they leave, he tells Bran it was right for him to defend Hodor, but he should never have been there in the first place. Um, he shouldn't have to fetch. You know, it's a phrase I shouldn't have to fetch you as if you were a little child. And he corrects him at one point. He says, oh, I'm nine. He's like, no, you're still eight. Eight is, it's again, I don't know, George, eight is little. Eight is really, that's like what people say Pat, seven is the age of like, you know, reason or you start to reason things out. Like, he's so little. He is still a child. I think religious, religious people say seven is the age of reason. I mean, eight yeah. is not very old. What is that, like second grade? I mean, like, you're just it's a tiny like little, little kid. Yeah. I mean, you're just starting to do, like, God. Yeah. That's, I think some kids can be seven in first grade. It's like nonsense. Yeah. It's not a real mature age. I mean, yeah. I, I, I cannot imagine, you know, my godson at eight being able to, like, make nuanced decisions about the disposition of lambs and and men. But, you know. Yeah, I don't remember. Th- I remember maybe having some sense closer to 11 or 12. Like, I don't know. I feel like the way he's writing Bran, he seems a slightly more. Ma- and I don't know if that's just, you know, slightly more mature than <laughs> than eight. But uh, so, so he's going into. Um, they're late for me- the meeting with Manderly, um, and and Manderly has you know got a big booming laugh, and he's pr- pretty jovial about the whole thing. He's you know not, it doesn't seem fussed about it, um, him being late, and he goes right into suggesting that White Harbor would be the perfect place to mint the new currency for Rob and to build a war fleet, and you know the first one in hundreds of years. Um, and he suggests they could take, you know, take both Dragonstone and King's Landing. And Bran, in his head, he hasn't spoken up, but he thinks this is a great idea. You know, he's all into this. And Roderick promises to send the proposal. Like, they have to run all this by Rob. Um, 
uh, next he asked about everybody's going to be asking about Lady Donella Hornwood. So we get the kind of <sighs> intro here. Um, her husband and only son had died in recent battles, and you know. I love how they just, he suggests he could marry her. So he's been with her for eight years or maybe my son. Like, it's just interesting. It's like, oh, me or my kid, you know, I I don't know. I mean, Wendell doesn't sound horrible. I don't know if we get any more information. I can't remember if we did. He doesn't (laughs) sound like the worst, but it's like, there's, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, like you can, you can understand, you can tell that Wyman knows she's probably not going to want to marry him, I think, which is why he throws in Wendell, but yeah, you you really, I mean, you know, well, if you oh think goodness. you feel sorry for Lady Hornwood now, just wait. Oh but, um, you know. Oh, yeah, so Wyman seems like a yeah. bargain compared to what she ends yeah. up with. So. Indeed, indeed. So, uh, George um, loves to do this thing where somebody kind of rejects what would have been a better choice. Um, I, you I know. gotta say, Wendell is apparently a very large man, quite oh, like his father. Okay. And, um prone to wearing food stained clothing. So oh, I can see <laughs> why, you know, <laughs> you're not just going, man, that's the one for me. I'll take him, you know. Although he, but, he does seem like maybe a decent human being. I think, isn't it Wendell who is like literally weeping when Jamie liberates Heron Hall in Feast? I think. And Jamie sends him back to White Harbor, if I remember not correctly. In Feast. He's not in Feast? Well, oh, I think Wendell dies. Or is it Wendell who dies in the other one that Jamie sent yeah. back? Yeah, yeah, because he's the yeah, I think it's the other why, one. Um, yeah. we've got Frey Pies. Willis, right? Willis is the older one. Willis, that's Sir the Willis. one, yeah. Willis, okay, yes, yes, that's it. Because Wendell dies at the Red Wedding, I think. Oh, yeah, right, and right, they right. go right into this because they say after, after like, they clear the table, the next thing he mentions is the, um, he, he wants to, he talks about, like, that he got a letter from Lord Tywin. Um, offering his son Sir Willis back in exchange, he's at Harrenhal for withdrawing levies and vowing to fight no more. And Roger kind of confirms, "You're gonna refuse this, right?" And he assures them he's loyal to Rob, but he, you know, he's expressing here he's dismayed and he wants his son out of there as soon as possible. He's like, you know, I don't know if I believe all the like hoopla around it, but you know, the, the ghosts and all this stuff. But he knows it's not a good place to be in a not good position. Yeah, well, he's so. right to be fucking worried. <laughs> yeah. He he should be worried because they're literally feeding his kid humans at oh, some point. God. Um, you know, I love this section because it's a, you really get a good sense of who Wyman Manderley is, the way that he does this kind of jovial conversational thing, but there's a lot of loaded information in it. And and you can kind of tell that he's playing a much sharper political game than he lets on. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty good. I mean, like, you know, obviously it, it takes a while to pay off, but Oh God, George is good at this. It kind of setting someone up yeah. slowly and then, <laughs> and then really delivering a good punch with a character. I mean, it takes him, you know, several thousand pages, but <laughs> Oh, gosh. Uh, so, uh, we kind of, next we sort of get this, um, I guess there, it's, it seems like it's evening because Lady Hornwood arrives and Bran offers sympathies and tells her Winterfell will remember. Uh, she thanks him, but says, you know, she's exhausted. She wants to rest till morning. So they agree to that. And the next morning, um, she goes right in and warns them about, um, Bolton's bastard and that he wants her land and, she tells them he's a sly creature with a cool, ser- uh, sorry, cruel, <laughs> cruel servant named Reek. Um, she's heard tales of them. Hu- basically, she's saying she's hinting at, but it's hunting humans and things that she could scarce believe, even of a Bolton. Um, 
Bran's in his head thinking, okay, I, I could send, we could send a hundred men. And Roderick only tells her that there would be a, you know, there's going to be dire retribution if he tries, um, suggesting, you know, he just kind of suggests it might be prudent for her to wet again. Um, I guess they, you know, I don't think they quite get, like, she's trying to tell them just how bad, but they, they've never met him and they don't, you know, they just know from what. Yeah, there's have. some of that. There's also there's an misogyny. element. misogyny. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's exactly. I mean, uh, if, a, if yeah. a, a, one of the other lords had said, look, this is, yeah, this is going boy. on. Or maybe there had been someone with a young ward who said this is going on. I bet you there would have, I don't know how much support. But I, I get the impression they're all like, okay, here's the answer. We sympathize. Because I, I think they all do. But their answer is, you need to marry somebody, preferably one of us, I know, and we'll I, protect you. And it's kind of like, they're like, well, I mean, I feel like it's just, they think that's going to, you know, it's like, I know they're kind of thinking, oh, well, maybe not this person, maybe not that person will be good. But like, it doesn't feel like there's a fire under their butts to do anything. You know what I mean? They're just kind of like, okay, it'll work itself out, which is kind of disturbing. Well, this feels to me like every woman who's had a problem with a man and had to report about the man to other men. This this is this is the conversation that you have right here. She knows how bad it is. She knows she has to couch this information in in a way that they will maybe accept. And she does her best and they just don't listen, even though the Boltons are literally her neighbors and she knows what's going on and she knows how bad it is. And she's afraid I mean, and it's not, not far. It's, and, and, it's not a far jump from the flaying to this this kind of thing. I mean, you'd think that they would think, okay, if they're known for. Yeah, it, I mean, she's not wrong. I mean, yeah. she's every woman who's ever tried to go to a police station and said, "Hey, this guy is stalking me or doing this mm. thing to me," and yep. they give you a pat on the back or, you know, tell you to call your your husband or your boyfriend or whatever, or imply it's your fault or something, and then you know. In a year or less, the woman's dead, which yeah. is yep. kind of, I mean, she has a bad fate. I mean, a really oh, horrific well. one. Yeah. So yeah, and I, I get that supplies are limited and, you know, things are are tough. But again, I think if someone else who had not been a woman had come to them with this, they there would have been a different response. And that's a significant loss. Like to lose your, like, the, the you know, her son and husband, that's... That's pretty big. Like, that's a big deal. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so she responds that she'll, you know, they're like, well, you should wed again. And she responds that she'll wed if his grace commands it. But Morris Crawford is an old drunken brute. And she's, she fears she's too frail for Manderley. And Roderick politely, you know, he's trying to be, he says they'll try to find a suitor more to her taste. And um, she responds, perhaps he need not look very far. Um, and, Master Lewin smiles and says, you know, he believes that she is sort of fancying Roderick and wants to, you know, is interested in him. And Bran comments that she's very set. You know, it's all sort of discussing her. And I guess she's gotten up and um, Roderick, admit, you know, he's like, just sort of like, the, he's like, okay, she's not uncomely for age, but it's a danger to, to peace. You know, he understands that much because she doesn't have an heir. Um, and he kind of puts, which is true. Like he puts out there, he's only a knight. He's old. You know, when he dies, she's just going to be back in the same position. Um, yeah. And he doesn't want to risk his daughter Beth's prospects as well. Um, so they're, uh, God. Uh, and then Bran suggests that if, um, was a Hornwood bastard, and we get a little more about him later, the other guy that comes, Leopold, but Leopold, but um, 12 year old Larence Snow. And Roderick thinks that Lady Hornwood wouldn't be pleased, but the idea is, I guess, to get him in there and he'd, 
he, you know, he could take formally take Hornwood, I guess, and end up being the heir. Um, uh, I don't know. That's, yeah, it just sucks that yeah. after all this discussion and she doesn't really have much of a say in it. No, and it sucks that this is all just set up for junk with Ramsey later. I just hate it. I hate every minute of this. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. Uh, so what's the next? Uh, Bran goes to the Godswood to visit Summer and catches a brief glim- glim- glimpse of a shaggy dog watching from the undergrowth. And this is kind of weird. Like, OSHA just pops out of the water. You know, like, it sounds like all the time she's, she's holding her breath. It's a long damn time how long she's been under there. But she emerges from this like pool and it's called out and Hodor jumps and Bran sort of, you know, commenting on her scars and she's discussing how she got them fighting crows. And, um, uh, she's just, she's kind of talking about the rumors she heard about. She says she heard about the little dust up between the Walders and Hodor and, um, Bran mentions, you know, cause she's commenting and he's big as a giant. Bran tells her he never fights. Um, but she, you know, she warns to stay away from them. Like, she can tell what's going on there. And then she asks him if he's had more wolf dreams. Uh, he doesn't want to talk about it. And he denies it. And I guess she's basically, she sees he's lying. But she's like, you know what? Your dreams are your business. And I have to go back to the kitchen. And But that it's, uh, I guess if we get into, I don't know if we want to talk about before or after that. I could describe basically that night he has a terrible dream. Weirwood tree, the three-eyed crows pecking his face and crying his name, and they wake to Hornblast. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to think, like, that particular little scene, if there's anything really... Well, I think this is just the beginning of Osha kind of hinting that she knows he's a warg, you know? Uh, let's see. So, the blasts of the horn wake him. Uh, Moors and Hothor Umber have arrived. Um, She's already said she doesn't want to marry him, but he's Morris is right into asking to marry Lady Hornwood. It's kind of like this. It's just so ridiculous how each of these guys is, wants to talk about this. But um, they politely remind him that she's still grieving, grieving because they know how she feels about him. And um, Hothor requests long ships to combat uh, wilding raids in the Bay of Seals, and Roderick recommends that they get together with that he get together with Manderley, you know, wood and craftsmen and crew, crews, all that can be worked up between the two. Um, the steward for Deepwood Mott arrives, representing Lady Sybil Glover. Um, she has young children, um, husbands away, and she can't travel. Um, they get into discussing harvest, and and this is where we get she. They question him about Lawrence Snow, um, and uh, it seems like from what they're saying, because it's like Master Lewin afterwards compliments Brand that they found out something might be sort of on their end, thinking this is a promising suggestion. Uh, you know, because he's like, oh, okay, that was a good thing, you, you know, if you thought of. And he's like, oh, you'll make a good Lord of Winterfell someday. And Bran protests that Roderick's <laughs> children with a fray wife will inherit the position. And Roderick points out that nothing is ever certain in the world, pointing out the deaths and changes in his own family. He's got a really sad story. And it's like, yeah, oh, yeah, it's just the, the foreshadowing of like sad things to. And I, I, I question the wisdom of, of telling this to Bran right now, but, you know. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, it's something you have to be made aware of and, and cognizant that there's a reason why people have multiple kids. But Bran's have has is dealing with an awful lot at the moment and yeah. does really help. I mean, 
And it comes in fast. I mean, the shit for that, for the Starks, it's just rolling in fast. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, keep in mind, you know, Sansa, they know, is being held in, in King's Landing. They already wonder at this point if Arya is dead. I mean, they, they're they already, you know, Ned's dead. It's it's already really bleak. <laughs> you don't need to tell Bran how fast things can go to shit. <laughs> And he just so doesn't, you know, you could just tell he just so doesn't want that. It's just so, it's de- it just continues to be depressing. Like, yeah. Oh God. And this has to be so taxing. Like, I can't even, even if you're into this stuff, it just sounds just like, oh, like these all day, like just hours and hours of this kind of crap. And we're getting, you know, we're getting like the important people, but it sounds like there's so many other people. Um, the following day here, we're at Leobald now, Tallheart. Um, speaks to them about his nephew, Benfred, and his, you know, he's talking about these these kids who basically, like, sounds like around 19, and they're riding around the country singing songs of chivalry, and Bran's all, like, thinking, well, that sounds grand, and doesn't say it out loud, but, you know, and then Roderick's not happy about this, is basically, like, look, you gotta tell that your nephew, he has to remain at turn square and await command, because they could be, you know, they be needed by Rob, they can't be fooling around, like, they just don't know how serious this is. Well, this yet. is terrible, terrible foreshadowing that uh, <clears throat> the defenses in the north are not being handled the way they Gosh. probably ought to be. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't you think at this point? I mean, is it still too early? I'm trying to think if it's just because we know everything. Is it still too early? But it seems like if enough has been burnt out, I mean, just based on Arya's experience. Shouldn't they all be concerned at this point? Like, really concerned? <laughs> I think they slightly are. You know, what you're getting throughout this this session of um, these different lords and yeah. representatives, like with the steward coming to Winterfell is, you know, everyone in Winterfell is like, are you guys not better prepared for things? I mean, every one of these lords has not been putting away enough of their crops wow. to save for winter. We've, we've, we've heard that a few times here. Like, you know, why are you only saving 10% save 20? Why are you yeah. only saving 25, save 30? You know what I mean? Um, and there, there's just kind of a, a perpetual lack of preparation in the North for, um, you know, issues and problems, not just winter, but, you know, obviously invasion is coming. They don't know it, but you know, they should be preparing for it. And you're just kind of getting hints that they're not, and of course, the reader is aware of of what the Ironborn are, are kind of up to, and and we also know what's going on in the South, and that it could potentially touch the North. And you know, it's, you just kind of get which George loves to do. There's just kind of a, a little bit of a sense of of doom, even before you know what's going to happen, that they're not ready for what's about to come. Yeah, and, and I guess I can't really critique it that much because it's like, oh, they're 19, but it's like I think about like. Remember early in the pandemic, the kids down at like spring break in 2020 were like, oh, we don't care if we die. And people are still doing that now. So it's like, I guess it doesn't matter how bad things get. People will always do stupid shit. (laughs) And they've also, they haven't seen anything. They're in the North where nothing ever happens anyway. So they're they're used to being comfortable the way way they are. So why would we be prepared as we need to be? Yeah, a real false sense of security, I yes. think. Yes. Oh. Uh, so, Leobald says, you know, he'll still do that. He then suggests sending his son, Baron, who's age 10, um, to foster and take the name Hornwood in hopes of becoming heir. They kinda, you know, he kind of is a little more subtle about that, but they're like, yeah, that's basically what you want. And he's like, yeah, and um, 
they're just pretty much that it's everybody wants a little piece of this pie and brands thing. Thanks. Yeah. Which can I just take a minute here and say, it's funny how George just kind of waffles back and forth between what the system for inheritance is anywhere in Westeros, because I mean, it should kind of automatically have just then gone to the female line. Why would Lady Hornwood get to keep these lands if, if she's not holding them on behalf of one of her own children? You know, like it really doesn't make any sense. Well, according I mean, to their own got, rules of inheritance. He's got Lady Riswell, who's, um, or sorry, Lady Dunstan, who's never, I mean, she has no children. There's no Dunstan children, but she's been holding that land since what? Since her husband went off with Ned at the rebellion. Oh. Yeah. And and it just doesn't, it doesn't really, because at the same time, he's really rigid with rules of inheritance in other cases, where it helps us plot. So uh, I, I wish that he had resolved this a little better because it just doesn't really make a lot of sense. Probably this should automatically have gone to, you know, to this. I nephew. mean, he That's could have solved yeah. it right here with that being a question. And, you know, Lewin saying, line. look, yeah. occasionally there are exceptions and this is just one of them or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something like that, because, you know, it's like, it, I mean, it happens. Families die out and there is no one to inherit. But in that case, usually it just kind of reverts to the um, the the next tier above in lordship with feudal society. And that doesn't seem oh, to happen, okay. which is how, like, say, in England, the queen can give out all of these titles because she's kind of um, subsumed them after families have died out. You know, like, and that's kind of what would happen in a feudal society. Oh. Would assume. And, they, and they'd he, absorb it back. And then if someone else, they give it to yeah. someone. Okay. okay. So, yeah. like... Because her husband's gone, her kid is gone, there's nobody else. The Stark. It would be, let's say, in Bran's gift. Okay. Like, Something that could like be that. done to d- designate somebody as the heir. Okay. But, yeah, you can okay. see because there's war, nobody having time to deal with it, and her kind of de facto getting to hold on to it for a bit, but they're acting like she's going to get to keep it. And it's just, it's a really, mm. it's interesting. I don't understand it, to be really frank with you. Uh, so, in the days that followed... Ravens are arriving from other houses, um, bearing regrets and, uh, all the, but all the principal vassal houses have been heard from like the ones that can't make it, but it's like, you know, they've heard from everyone except for, they mentioned Hal and Reed and, uh, the Surins and, uh, one day Lord Surin's 14 year old son arrives, um, while Bran's riding dancer around the yard. Uh, and he asks Bran if Stannis wrote Winterfell and, and he shares the news, kind of just out there with, you know, Stannis claims to be king, has put forth allegations that the king slayer is Joffrey's real father. And right here we get Bran, like, suddenly, like, he's got these overwhelming feeling, like he can't breathe, like a panic attack, basically. Um, yeah. yeah. Clay noticed it, he's this terror, and he's like, asks if he's, you know, unwell, and he reassures you, he thinks it's because, oh, there's another king, you know, it's going to be a problem for Rob, he thinks that's why, he's like, oh, no, Rob's going to beat Stannis. And it sounded like Brant basically passes out in the saddle, would have fell off. He wasn't attacked, you know, cinched in. Um, and they kind of moved to where he's having these that night, you know, they've taken him to his room and he's having these really, the nightmares are even, you know, if the ones before sounded bad, these are even worse. The crow's now like completely plucking his eyes out. He's like, sounds like he's into his brain. Like it's gross. It's gory. Um, and he's just kind of surreal. Like he's up a mile high, but he doesn't have use of his legs still in this dream. Um, and he's crying, help me. And then a golden man pulls him up. The things I do for love, he murmurs as he tosses him, kicking into the empty air. And that's where it kind of leaves off. So he has the vision of what happened. Uh, Fucking Jamie Lannister. Fucking asshole. 
Like it's amazing how it's it seems to be a combination of the mention of Jamie and the mention yeah. of the incest really just oh. does a number on Bran and you know George kind of keeps this thread of Bran never really stopping to think through what he has witnessed and everything like it's like he just can't even approach the thought um and it's it's terrible especially when you think about the fact that he's only 8 years old dealing with this it's just ugh, awful yeah, it's just just like the icing on the cake after these days of like <laughs> the oh. cherry on his shit Sunday. <laughs> oh my god! Do we have any mail for this chapter? <laughs> we do. Um, okay, Cardinal Girl seventy five from the Discord asks, "How much does Hodor truly understand?" He doesn't seem to understand when he's being insulted as he is by the Walders, and he doesn't defend himself when he's at risk, as Bran remembers an incident when Hodor was cornered and tormented by a group of boys at the market. But he understands commands and will do them quickly enough. Do you think someday something will someday drive him to defend himself without Bran working into him? It is a little strange. Like, you know, it's not completely consistent, like how they're describing his disability, you know. I think it feels like he's been taught commands and learned them that way. Maybe like, that's why he's pretty quick whenever there is a command, um, something, yeah, something specific for him to do is what it kind of seems like. Well, I think, I think you're seeing this, that, that Hodor is not naturally violent, even his, in his own defense, as this is going to be a juxtaposition against Bran later warging him and using him to fight and how that is going to be counter to Hodor's own will, probably. Sadly Um, enough, I think that's what that's uh, about. um, Ancient Octagon asks, in honor of all the Northern Lords we meet in this chapter, (laughs) what are your thoughts on the grand Northern conspiracy theory theories? I mean, I I think there's merit to it. I think it's like a tertiary thing that George has kind of going on that will serve a little bit of purpose. I think it kind of took a a grander position in fandom just because of, as usual, a lack of content and nothing else to focus on. But I think there's there's something to it. There's a little something to it, obviously. Yeah, especially the basics of it, um, about what it's based around. But it got so... There's so much to it just through the yeah. years of fandom and discussing it. But the very basics of it that the Northern Lords will hold someone likely John up because of what Rob wrote in what we call the will or whatever before he mm-hmm. um, before he died. I do think that will come into play at some point. Yeah, so do I. And then we have a comment from a Tumblr Anon who says, listening to your A Clash of Kings Danny one episode And it's hitting me that this is the book where I really felt like I lost her. Her story was separate in A Game of Thrones, but she still felt like a person and an underdog. From A Clash of Kings on, it's so much about signs, prophecies, savior complexes, dragons, and just in general, multiple messengers per book assuring her how special and destined she is. It was the really it was really the start of my questioning of how much Martin buys into the Targ blood supremacy mythos and why he's so into it. There's definitely a shift, not for the better. 
I, th- I think that's why I yeah. stopped caring about her though, is because it was, she was no longer, it, it really didn't feel like she was a person so much anymore. But this thing about the blood supremacy mythos is interesting. I'm sorry. I interrupted. Devin, Devin, were you going to say something? I think I had a thought and I think it went away. <laughs> I love that. I love it when that happens. I, I mean, for me, I, I have questions about what happened with George and the Targaryens because initially you see the narrative itself um, deeply questioning um, the Targaryen mythos. It, it, it certainly, you know, uh, gives no support to the concept of, of Targaryens using incest to maintain their power, as that is implied to be also the reason they lose their power. Um, at the same time, somewhere in the midst of writing this series, George seems to have also kind of fallen in love with the Targaryens. I don't know if it's because they're such a hot mess. I mean, you know, a family that's constantly marrying one another and has weapons of mass destruction, they can turn on each other. I get that it, it's interesting. Everything is not interesting to me, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think George, I think George fell into his own story a little bit too much. I mean, I think still the overall, overall larger narrative is still questioning um, the Targaryens, but at the same time, George has a soft spot for them. And, um, but I think he always had a soft spot for Danny. I don't think he, I think he thought of like Danny the way that he thinks of like egg where they're kind of exceptions to their family as opposed to like, you know, the really problematic, really, really problematic members. And that is our mail. Okay. Uh, you can reach us at close the door and at gmail.com on Tumblr at close the door and come here at tumblr.com. Uh, submit questions, to the chapter threads on the Jamie and brand subreddit. Follow us on Twitter at Door Podcast, and please like, review, subscribe to us on iTunes, Podbean, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, all the places you listen, and um, support us on Patreon at Close the Door. I'm closing the door. Get out. 